0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, uh, to the book of Psalms, chapter 7. Today we're going to be studying a psalm of David as he struggles against the sin of slander, the sin of slander. Uh, Slander is when someone lies about you or twists the truth to try to hurt you or your reputation. And it's a bummer. Uh, Slander has a close cousin named Gossip, and um, that's when someone uses information they have to hurt you or your reputation. So maybe some of what they say is true, but it's still malicious in its intent, uh, intended to hurt and not help. And so Gossip and Slander kind of go hand in hand. Uh, and the principles that we're going to be learning today will apply to both uh, and how we handle that, okay? The bottom line of what we're approaching here in Psalm 7 is that uh, David has a guy named Cush, and he's a Benjamite, uh, and he is talking smack about David and trying to stir up trouble. This is the condition we find David in. This is the, the trouble that he's bringing to the Lord and expressing his need for help, okay? So that's what's going on. Let's read Psalm 7 together and see what the Lord has to say to us, okay? Here we go. O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil, To my friend, or have plundered him who without cause was my adversary, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life down to the ground, and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries, and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples encompass you, and over them return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous, for the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness, and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head, and his violence will descend upon his own pate. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Amen. Praise God. So, uh, we're going to start back at the beginning, and and the first thing we're going to deal with, uh, the the first section here is, we're going to pull from these scriptures, we're going to mine for truths and pieces of gold that will help us understand how it is we should deal with slander, um, because it's really difficult, and it's hurtful, uh, and we're going to have a model here. So the first thing, uh, the first way we need to uh, deal with and respond to slander is that God must be our refuge. God must be our refuge. I think it's quite appropriate that we sang the song we did today, uh, hiding in the cleft of the rock of ages, knowing that he is a safe place for us to run to in times of difficulty. Uh, God must be our refuge. And <clears throat> uh, the, the truth is, our only hope is in God. Let's So let's see, David begins this psalm of lament. He begins this psalm Uh, expressing to the Lord his difficulty and asking for help by making a declaration by faith uh, of what it is he believes. And he says, "O Lord, my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. You'll see a lot of um, comparison and uh, kind of storytelling uh, throughout the Psalms that includes a lion. That makes a lot of sense with David as the author being the shepherd boy that grabbed a lion by the beard, by the power of God. So that imagery comes up a lot. But what he's saying here, verse 1, he's saying, "Oh Lord, in you I have taken my refuge. Lord, I need you to save me. Or what's going to happen is, this guy that's intending to destroy me, it's going to work. And so what we see him declaring is an understanding right off the bat that his only hope is in God. He's, he said, I'm, I'm taking my refuge in you, Lord. I need you to save me. And I think sometimes... Many times, we don't think that way, at least not first. Oftentimes, we think of other solutions first. I'll just speak for myself, since your holy stairs are telling me that none of you ever struggle with this. Uh, What happens to me sometimes is a problem comes, whether that's actually the the persecution of somebody else or just whatever the issue is. Oftentimes, my first instinct is to jump to uh, whatever I fancy to be my intellectual faculties. Uh, or r- other resources that I have, and I, I want to try to start shifting and moving and jiving to fix the problem within my own strength, because for some silly reason that seems easier. What, what I appreciate about David is-, is right off the jump, the beginning of this, this really a psalm that spends the majority of the time asking for God's help is him saying, God, I'm making my refuge in you, because if you don't show up, Lord, if you're not faithful to your word, Lord, if you don't save me, this guy like a lion's going to tear my soul from me. This guy's, Plan of action to try to destroy me is going to work if, if it's not you Lord it's not going to happen. I think it's much like a family that uh, you know here's, here's the tornado sirens going off and, and they they run to that cellar they've got in the basement right and they, they they run down there and what they're counting on is that because that thing's underground and the way it's structured that that if that tornado does come and hits that house that in that structure, down in that place that shelter they're going to find safety uh, and I don't think most of us would think the way to solve the problem of a tornado heading your way is to run out at it and start punching it, right? Or maybe I'll throw a few rocks at it, right? I'm going to fix this tornado. No. you got When a problem's that big, right, when you got 300-mile winds swirling around and pieces of straw being thrown through telephone poles, it's not time for you to get out there and show how buff you are or how good your arm is. It's time for you to run and get into some shelter. And, and the great hope is that shelter's going to hold. Here's the beautiful thing in life, when we run to God and we understand that He is that sure and strong shelter, there is no question. Whatever comes, you will be safe. Because He is the sovereign God who simply spoke to create all that exists, and there is nothing that challenges His power. And so if you, dear friend, will be humble enough to understand that our place in times of trouble is underneath the shadow and the safety of the God who made us. You will find yourself safe. You will find yourself at a, at a place and a baseline where you can stop, collect yourself, uh, let the Lord speak to you. And then, and, then, and then if it is for you to go out and, and, and by God's hand begin to handle the situation, at least you're coming from a place of strength as opposed to being scrambled uh, and beat up. And so let's stop fighting tornadoes, friends. Run to shelter. Run to a place of safety. Amen. So the first thing in how we respond to slander is that God must be our refuge. We need to know where our help comes from. We need to know where our source of strength is. God is our refuge. That's the first way we respond to slander is running to the Lord. Uh, the, second, the second way that we need to respond to slander is that we must be humble. Let's look again at verses three through five. Uh, David says, "O oh Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to my friend or have plundered him who without cause was my adversary, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. We need to be humble. And what we see David doing here um, is is not assuming he's right, right? He's he's putting out before the Lord, Lord. If I've done, if I have, if I have fault in this, then deal with me, Lord. I don't want to just assume that because I'm feeling attacked that I'm I know all the factors or that that I'm totally innocent in the thing, Lord. I want you to actually come in and by the by the power of your Spirit, I want you to inspect this situation. If there is fault in me, then deal with me. And you'll see the part of the theme that goes throughout this. Uh, David's cry for help is is overall it's a cry for justice he wants justice not only for himself but in verse 7 he mentions the assembly of the peoples and every time we see David throughout the Psalms calling for God's justice in a large sense. It's not just that he's feeling attacked by Cush the Benjamite, and so he personally wants God to deal with him so that he can feel better about the fact that that guy is mean and is getting what he deserves. He understands that overall, God's justice being done in the earth is not only good for him, and may actually lead to some correction for him, verses 3 through 5, but also it's good for the whole assembly of the peoples. We see David's servant, uh, and shepherd heart oftentimes. Uh, and even in the middle of his, his deepest struggles, he's considering the impact it has on the people at large. He cares about the fact uh, that justice be done, not only for himself, but for all of Israel, whom he loves. So we need to be humble. We cannot assume, first of all, that there is no truth in the attack, that if someone brings slanderous attack against us, we need to not just instantly assume nothing that they're saying is true. We should put it before the Lord and ask for him to both inspect us and instruct us. Um, it may be completely false. Sometimes that happens. That seems to be the case here. We don't actually know. That we, we can't link directly Psalm 7 to some historical event. Some would say that Cush the Benjamite was coming uh, to Saul, telling lies about David, trying to incite Saul against him. That's probably the most likely scenario. Uh, but there's not agreement on it, and, and there's nothing sure enough for us to know. But we do know that at some point, David was attacked by somebody uh, verbally that was running around telling lies on him and trying to hurt him and his reputation. And, and it doesn't seem that, uh, you know, he's going to tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away um, and, and talking about there's none to deliver. It doesn't sound like, you know, he's going to get a detention, right, if, if this goes bad. It sounds like there's really high stakes here, um, probably someone pursuing his life. So um, th- this, is, this is deep for David. This is real. This struggle is very hard. Uh, and he's being lied about, which is really a bummer. I don't know if you've had that happen to you, but man, it stings and it hurts. But we need to be humble, um, and we should at least set those accusations before the Lord in prayer and ask him to reveal the truth to us. So we need to first understand that God is our refuge when we're being slandered. We need to secondly be humble and understand that God may even use something like that to uh, illuminate something that needs to be Looked at in our lives, needs to be corrected, a place that we need an adjustment. Um, and we need to set that before Him and trust that He'll reveal the truth to us. Abraham Lincoln said this truth is generally the best vindication against slander. Uh, and, and I find that to be true that oftentimes, uh, if you don't freak out, if you don't jump in and uh, begin to throw your own insults, um, but you trust the Lord, that m- most of the time, and, and, and I can tell you from personal experience, I, I have. I've had my name drugged through the mud for nothing more than um, doing my best to obey the Lord and it is tempting because I can be kind of sharp-tongued to begin with and I'm normally pretty good like, you know, when the buddies are around and we're all shooting the, the jokes back and forth and making fun of each other, like, you know, I don't always come out first in that go around, but I'm normally up towards the top, right? Like I'm pretty good at cracking jokes. And so normally I have a comeback for most things. And so my own nature works against me in this situation because I can pretty quickly think of a retort to something that somebody says that's, that's hateful or false or, or twisted against me. But um, by God's grace, that the situation I have in mind um, I didn't do that. I was, I was silent. I tried to think about the fact that Jesus was silent as he had insults hurled at him during the crucifixion and it was a bummer. I wanted to defend myself. There was people I love that were thinking bad about me because of what was being said, but I, 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 I was trusting God to handle it. And ultimately, um, the truth was revealed and, and it was, um, it was pretty cool vindication. And it was cool that I didn't have to do it, uh, that God came through and, and proved himself true. So, uh, I, I can tell you, this isn't just some kind of ethereal, you know, poetry that that doesn't really have any meaning. These principles are actually really true in life, um, and I actually think that situation would have got so ugly and unable to be untangled if I would have jumped in and begun throwing my own insults. Because then, what what happens then? Well, I I respond, then they respond, then I respond, and now there's so much mud everywhere that nobody can tell what's going on, right? And and you never really do get down to the truth, and so. Uh, it's It's fighting that temptation that when you're falsely accused when somebody's uh, for whatever reason, uh, saying hateful things about you or to you or whatever it is, um, to just be be quick to listen and slow to speak and trust the Lord, run to him as a refuge, lay it out to him as we see David doing here. David made it plain, Lord, if you don't save me, this will not go well. He understands I can't get in this thing and start trying to spin my own yarn and, and tell my own half of the story because it's not going to work. Lord, you have to intervene because if I get in and try to do it that way, it's going to break and it's going to be bad. Uh, and that's true for us more often than we think. So we, we, uh, God must be our refuge. How, how do we respond to slander? God must be our refuge. We must be humble. And verses 6 through 16, we'll see that we must truly trust the Lord to handle it. Let's read this again. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself from me. You have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples encompass you and over them return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. If a man will not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head and his violence will descend upon him Uh, upon his own pate that word p-a-t-e i didn't know what it was i had to look it up it's like the crown of the head okay so essentially whatever trouble you're starting is going to flip back around it's going to smash your own dome that's what david is saying uh and i find that to be true so the the third thing is we need to really truly trust the lord to handle it how do we deal with the problem of being slandered god's got to be our refuge we need to be humble and we really truly have to trust the lord to handle it not just lip service But what we see here is an appeal to the judgment, the righteous judgment, and the power of God's hand to handle those that would slander us. Handle somebody that would, in an unrighteous way, be looking to stir up trouble. Uh, That God indeed is not asleep, but will deal with it. Uh, when dealing with slander, I think we would do really well to remember the example of uh, Daniel, in Daniel six, where uh, he's serving underneath King Darius. He proves himself to be <clears throat> an, a man of excellence. There's three guys <clears throat> set over a bunch of other leaders in the country, and uh, the the other two guys that are along with Daniel see that Daniel's. It says that Darius, he he Daniel even stood above and beyond the, these these other guys that at this high level and that what Darius was about to do was set him as leader over everything. Uh, I think Darius was looking for a guy to like handle the problem so you know he could kind of sit on his throne and be fanned and fed grapes all day. So he's looking for somebody to kind of handle the issues, right? And it looks like Daniel's going to be the guy. Jealousy begins to ensue. These guys start to come up with a plan. They start examining Daniel's life. They can't find any legitimate reason to bring against him. So they, they have to spin up this plan where they get Darius. The, the one thing they say is, if we're going to find fault with him, it's only going to have to do with the way he serves as God because he's doing that really faithfully. So they, they get Darius to make this law. They come in and kind of, you know, rub his earlobes a little bit. Like, hey, Darius, you know, it'd be cool if you made a huge statue of yourself and told everyone only, they, they can only worship that because you're that cool. And Darius is like, you know what? I am. So <laughs> he makes a statue, makes a law. And of course, these guys, uh, they know Daniel's not going to pray to that statue. They know he's going to pray to God. And so they, they hide around corners and listen through windows and they, they catch Daniel. They go back. The trap is sprung. They say to Darius, hey, didn't you make this law? Well, Daniel's still doing this. So they're slandering him, right? They're, they're lying about him, but it's, 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 they're, trying, they're lying about his character, trying to make it seem like he's a bad guy when really what he's doing is righteous. Um, and they had, to, they had to create the whole thing because they couldn't even find fault with Daniel. He was, that, he was that excellent of a guy, that godly of a man. And so... Uh, what I think, so what ends up happening is uh, the law said you'd be thrown in the lion's den, right? And so that happens. Um, Daniel stays in there all night. The king runs out, doesn't sleep, goes down, calls down to Daniel. And he says, you know, did your God preserve you? He says, yeah, I'm down here. I'm good. Pulls Daniel out, throws the guys in that came up with the whole deal that were doing the slandering and uh, makes a law and says, okay, now everyone's going to serve the God of Daniel. Right? So that's pretty cool. Um, when you stand in integrity and you don't let being slandered pull you into the fray and the, and the foolishness, uh, God can really be glorified. And uh, the, the power of God can be reflected through uh, you doing that. Because it's not, let's be honest, it's not natural at all, right? When you're slandered, when you've got someone coming after your character, especially if they're lying on you, what's, what's your first natural reaction, right? It's, it's not to, <laughs> yeah, it's not to, you know, be happy about it, right? You know, you're not like, thank you, Lord. This opportunity to persevere—that's that's not probably your first reaction. Um, you know, I, I saw some of you—you uh, know—are already beginning to loosen up your shoulders just thinking about, you know, what you would do to somebody that did that, right? So that's that's in no way natural. And when we do really unnatural things by the power of God in difficult situations, it speaks to the reality and the power of God, the fact that our hearts have been changed and we do stuff that isn't normal um, by God's grace. And so this is one of those things. And there's a few things I think when, when, when we're being slandered and we're really truly trusting the Lord to handle it, here's a few things I would pull out. There's probably many more uh, of the way Daniel handled it. First of all, he did not use his influence for a counterstrike. Okay? Daniel, it seems like Daniel had the influence to come to Darius and say, yeah, you know what? Uh, actually, yes, I was praying to my God, but you know what I've seen these two guys do? All the time, they're slouching when they're supposed to be working. All the time, I'm seeing them take more um, you know, than their wages are, whatever. I'm sure Daniel had dirt on these guys because they're obviously lack of integrity like punks. And so there's probably all kinds of things. And Darius already liked Daniel better and probably would have listened to him. But Daniel doesn't do that. He doesn't use his influence to come and counterstrike against the slanderers. Uh, he puts his trust in God. Um. The second thing is we can see from this story that this really vibrant principle uh, that that is laid out in verses 15 and 16, it it came true for Daniel in his life. And uh, I I would tell you, I've I've also experienced this. Just looking at 15 and 16 again, here's what it says. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. Uh, His mischief will turn upon his own head and his violence will descend upon his own his vines will descend upon his own head. It'll hit him in the crown of his own head, right? So it's it's kind of this almost comical picture uh, of someone like thinking they're sneaky, digging a hole, right? Thinking that they know when this person's gonna come and, and they're gonna fall into it. And then they forget they dug the hole and they fall into their own hole, right? It's it's that kind of deal. And and that's the principle we see David laying out, but we also see that principle vibrantly true in Daniel's situation because these guys are like, you know what? We're gonna get Daniel hemmed up. We're gonna trick Darius get him thrown in the lion's den, and then he'll be out of our way, and no longer will we have to worry about not being promoted because of Daniel's excellence. Well, what ends up actually happening is Daniel goes down in the lion's den. God Almighty closes the mouths of the lion, right? Daniel's down there like he's at PetSmart, you know, just hanging out, petting the the lions, right, having a good old time. Darius comes back out. You down there? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, let's get him out. Who, Who ends up in the hole? The guys that started the trouble, Right? And that principle is true. You will, you will find often the principle of sowing and reaping is very vibrantly on display when it comes to people attacking God's kids. Oftentimes, God, just almost as an extra like, um, just so you know I'm involved, not only am I going to deal with them, not only is justice going to be dealt to the people that, that come after my kids, but I'm going to the very way they were doing it, I'm going to turn it around on them. Just so you see my power on display. And, and I promise you, if you will, if you will deal with slander, if you will deal with gossip, if you will deal with people coming at you this way, like this, you, you will see this happen. You'll see somebody trying at your job, trying to come at you, uh, whether they're lying about you or whether they're they've got some piece of information that they're using to try to, you know, hurt you, hurt your reputation, get you fired, get you demoted, whatever it is. If if you will stand strong in God and you will trust that He can handle it, and you will appeal to His justice, and you will say to Him, Lord, if You don't save me, this is going to go bad. Right? And if you don't jump in and begin to do your own campaign and start interviewing people, see if you can get something on them and take that to try to, if you don't get in that at all, but you'll trust the Lord, you will find that a lot of times what ends up happening is that person that came after your character, that person that brought slander to try to take you down, you'll, you'll see them get a pink slip and out you go. And it may not be immediate, but God's justice, even if it's slow, is sure. He said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And that principle right there saved me from a lot of trouble because I'm vengeful by nature. Is it okay for me to say that and be truthful in here? You guys aren't just going to judge me harshly, right? I can tell you the truth. I'm vengeful by nature. Like if it wasn't for God in me, me and Ryan, my brother, joke about it all the time. Like people mess with us or do a prank or whatever. We believe firmly in the law of escalation, right? You put, you put baloney on my car windows and you think that's funny, guess what? Your car isn't going to run in the morning, right? It's just straight to... Way extreme consequences, right? Or, you have no wheels anymore. Congratulations. Wasn't this fun? So, I am like, not, not only am I just vengeful by nature, I'm good at it, right? So, <laughs> uh, I, I need God's help and grace to not fall into that trap, man. Because, um, and I'm talking about pranks, but in serious things too. Like, if somebody comes at me, what I want to do is is take all the information I have and and, and add some more to it because... You know, I can do that, and then I, I wanna I wanna bring utter destruction, right, upon your head um, because I'm mad. You're lying about me, or you're gossiping about me, or you're taking sensitive information that should have been in trust and you're trying to use it to hurt me. And and so um, yeah, my natural inclination is to come for you, right? Um, but I mean, by God's grace, and I don't do it perfectly, and, and oftentimes it doesn't, I don't get to this place as quick as I should. I promise you, um, I am I am much less likely to fall into that sinful tendency. Uh, than I was as a younger man. And so uh, the fact that vengeance is God's is a beautiful thing. It, it, it frees us to forgive. It frees us to appeal to God's grace. It frees us to not get into these uh, sinful cycles where we're, we're throwing mud back and forth at people and we're getting into these these arguments that are never fruitful. We are free because of God's justice and, and the surety of Him moving on our behalf um, to not have to jump into that and not have to play those games. And I'm really, really thankful for that. Uh, and so, really, you, you will sow what you reap. And so we need to trust that uh, when people are coming after us uh, or, or just speaking evil of us or, or trying to hurt us. Um, Daniel shows us, so that was, i give you two things. He didn't use his influence for a counter-strike, and, and we see the principles of verse 15 and 16 really work in Daniel's life as the guys end up in the lion's den that tried to get him killed in the lion's den. Um. And the third thing is Daniel shows us how to fully trust God in the face of malicious attacks. He shows us how to fully trust God in the face of malicious attacks. It's not going to work if we just lip service this thing, right? If, if, if we have this half-hearted like, Lord, they're coming after me, uh, and I hope you can do something. We don't, we don't see that here. We see David saying, God, you are my refuge. I have made you my refuge, God, and if you don't save me, I know this is going to end badly, And so it's this strong, faith-filled declaration. And then he goes on to spend a bunch of time talking about, God, return on high. Let the the assemblies of the people come around. You vindicate me, O Lord. You know, he's got this trust in God's righteous judgment, and he's got this trust in God's ability by his sovereign hand to get done what he wants to get done. And so because of those things put together, David, though lamenting the fact that he's under attack, is at the very same time speaking with faith-filled confidence. And that's what we have to do. We can't, we can't approach it kind of you know jelly-spined. Uh, we need to know who God is. We need to know that we can trust God fully, really in the face of malicious attacks, uh, really in the face of all difficulties, but, but in particular, we're looking at this one today. So Daniel does show us how to trust God uh, in the face of, of um, people coming at us, gossiping about us, uh, slandering us. But um, I would say, as is often the case... King Jesus calls us to follow him even one step further than that. So for some of us, we're already like understanding as, as we talk about this, I'm going I'm to need God's grace to really trust him in the midst of that. I'm going to need God's grace not to do karate moves on people that slander me, right? Like we already know we're going to need help just to get as far as Daniel did, right? Just to get as far as David did to, to not go hurt, bring hurt for hurt, right? Right? It, we're, many of us are going to need God's grace because we're, we're worse sinners than the rest of you in here just to not do bad to people because they did bad to us because we have such a strong sinful inclination towards that whether, and that can be a product of all kinds of things. Um, the way we were taught, you know, there's all kinds of factors that can make you think that way um, aside from just the fact that we're, we're sinful and need Jesus' help. But uh, Jesus doesn't actually let us just go that far. He doesn't let us just stop at not giving them bad for bad. He calls us to go one step farther. Matthew 5.44 says this, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. So friends, David did a good job here in Psalm 7, appealing to God, trusting in God's sovereignty, understanding that God is his refuge, not letting his mind race and not letting himself get pulled into an angry response of slander for slander and gossip for gossip. David did a good job. Daniel did a good job uh, not freaking out, but really knowing, uh, I believe, he's, even as he was tossed into that lion's den, that God was for him and was going to help him. That's awesome. They didn't get pulled into the, the, the never fruitful uh, back and forth, fighting, and 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 this this well, if you're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you uh, type of response. They didn't do that, but then King Jesus comes along and he raises the Annie yet again. And it's because he came and he showed us what Jesus did is come and and he reflected more um, of God's character to us and he kind of revealed to us the higher potential that we have by His grace uh, to live in such a way that would shock the world. And, and it is shocking for us as God's people to not only not Fight back against our enemies, but to pray for them, to genuinely care for them, to let ourselves, let ourselves, by God's grace, not just respond to what they're doing, but let let God speak to us and teach us about maybe why they're doing it, and let our, let us see the struggle that causes them to act the way they're acting. And instead of anger and malice being our response, instead we are filled with somehow compassion and care even for those that would come at us sideways or hateful. That's a miracle. That's the grace of God working in a human life. Um, Because human nature is, you hit me, I hit you. Uh, You speak evil of me, then I'm going to speak evil of you. Uh, But Jesus calls us to a higher and a better way. And it's not going to be possible, friends, without his help. I think that's a given. Um, William Secker is a 17th century English pastor, and he said it this way, To do evil for good is human corruption. To do good for good is civil retribution. But to do good for evil is Christian perfection. That helped me, friends. That helped me. Um, And we see that that even now. We see human corruption. We see oftentimes in this world people doing evil for good. And that's painful and that's a reflection of the fact that things are not as they should be. to do good for good is just kind of the basic, everybody can pull that off, right? I mean, that's just nature. You, do, you could flip that statement and say, to do bad for bad is civil retribution, right? I mean, that's, to, to respond in like kind is just, that's, that's pretty average, that's human nature. But he says, to do good for evil is Christian perfection. That, friends, is, is, that is some of the pinnacle, that is some of the high point of us really being conformed to the image of Christ and walking in his footsteps is when we have harm done to us um, maliciously to not react the way we normally would, but to actually let ourselves be filled with compassion for those that would be the attackers. It sounds it sounds crazy, doesn't it? It really does. It sounds wild. Um, but we are supposed to be a peculiar people uh, powered by a magnificent grace. And so uh, it is possible. Uh, the reality is, friends, that we should not be surprised when we face opposition because we stand for the truth. Oftentimes, it um, we can even sometimes, sometimes when attacks come, whether it be just difficulties in life, just results of the earth being cursed and things not being as they should be, or even it is the very uh, intentional, malicious attacks of of somebody coming at us. Oftentimes, I think what we're tempted to do is is look up at God like, "What's up?" You know, like I'm I'm. I'm doing good here. I'm living a good life. I'm obeying your word. I'm, I'm, I'm giving. I'm being generous. I'm, I'm connected to your church. I'm doing all the things that I'm being taught from your word. How is it then that I'm still being attacked? Why is it that I'm going through this struggle? Uh, and, and also in Matthew 5, this is in the same flow of thought, just a little bit earlier, uh, when he said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He said this earlier on in the same flow of thought. He says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me and friends that's why every single time when we give the opportunity for someone to surrender their heart to Christ here I I try to say in some way for the sake of full disclosure your life may not be easier as a result of deciding to follow Jesus but I can promise you it will be better and for us in, in an American westernized way of thinking for us easier is better right microwave better faster burrito in mouth quicker you know, like that's, we don't even get, we can't, it's hard for us to even stretch our imaginations to understand that harder could be better, but you may absolutely have more difficulty in your life because you trust Jesus and because you follow him. You may absolutely uh, have, have more people come against you, persecute you, say lies about you, uh, you know, come at you intentionally speaking evil against you. That, that may happen, but, but what does Jesus say about it? Blessed are you when people insult you. And when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, what's the beauty of that? Well, it's because... When somebody comes against us, when somebody persecutes us, and it's because of him, and it's not because we deserve it, or it's not because um, we do have a lack of integrity, it's there's all kinds of reasons why somebody could say evil things to somebody else. But when it, there's a beauty, when the attack is actually because we are standing for the truth, actually because we are living in a countercultural, beautiful way that exemplifies the love of Christ in the world, and that agitates people and it causes them frustration, and so they don't like that. It It even causes conviction in them oftentimes, and so they will. They will come at you if it is for no other reason than to get you out of their face. And what Jesus says about that is you are blessed in that situation. Is it always easy to see it right away and believe it? No. But that's why in the midst of those situations, we need to come to places like Psalm 7. We need to remember the story of Daniel, and we need to read the words of our king and remember, yeah, this is hard, but if it's hard because I'm with him, then I'm following a beautiful path because Jesus didn't have it real easy. But he did obey the Lord. He did obey God. He obeyed the Father. And he's in glory now. And so, yes, we may have difficulty in this life, but there's also beauty in it. There's beauty now, and for sure, there's beauty in eternity. It's worth it. We are blessed when people insult us and persecute us and falsely say all kinds of evil against us because of him. Now, friends, remember the part about being humble at the beginning and not assuming it's because of him. Sometimes you may have someone come against you because you are being a knucklehead. Okay, So don't try to stand on Matthew 5.11 and say, well, I'm blessed when people persecute me. you got to remember the last part that says because of him. So if you actually are having a lack of integrity or really what's just happening is that God's allowing somebody with a loud enough mouth to point out something in your life that you need to change, Let's be humble first, make sure we take those things before the Lord as a part of this process and say, Lord, is there something to this? But if it is just a malicious attack and somebody's angry that you love Jesus and that makes them either feel bad or they're frustrated or they're angry or whatever it is, then we can stand on these verses knowing that we are blessed and that God's righteous hand is going to move on our behalf. Praise God, either way. Even if it is somebody that God is using to point out something in your life, that's still His grace to you. That's still reason at the end to raise our hands and worship Him. That He is a good Father that doesn't just leave us to our own, right? That He doesn't just let us keep going down a road of folly, but He will sometimes send somebody uh, to, to stick that, that proverbial stick in our spokes, throw us off the bike, scrape our knees, but get us to wake up if you didn't grow up with, with siblings, maybe you don't know what I mean. So if you're a mean kid and somebody's riding their bike, what you do is time it. And you come out from behind a bush and you stick a stick in their spokes and the wheel doesn't turn anymore and they get thrown off their bike. And it's super funny. Um, if you're sinful. <laughs> so, uh, as most kids are. So anyways, um, don't do that. Um, but, but sometimes God lovingly does that for us because we need, we need, we need, uh, somebody to slam the brakes on for us. And so thankful for that. Um, There is is much helpful instruction for the slandered, those who are being attacked, uh, to be found in this psalm, Psalm 7. Uh, But we should also consider the strong warning it provides for us to avoid the pitfall of slandering others. So the question now is, we've talked about and and, and pulled out of this psalm how it is we should respond to being slandered. How do we avoid slandering others? Uh, I think the first thing we need to do is understand where slander comes from. We need to understand oftentimes where slander comes from. Slander is most often the child of fear and jealousy. Fear of our own inadequacy and jealousy of someone else's success are the common bedfellows from which slander is spawned. The example of this would be the advisors against Daniel, right? What was their problem? They were jealous of Daniel and they were insecure, fearful about their own position because of Daniel's excellence. So that caused them to go so far as to spin up a crazy situation so that they could bring false attacks against Daniel's integrity. That's just one example, but I would say very commonly, maybe not always, but but a vast majority of the time, you have jealousy and somebody fearing because of their own inadequacy. Those coming together, uh, what they spawn or what they create oftentimes is somebody that is willing to slander someone else. Uh, By the way, understanding the source of slander should also help us to compassionately pray for those who have spoke evil about us or someone we love. Um, Because some of you, some of you, it would be easier for you to trust Jesus and pray for those that persecute you than it would be to trust Jesus and pray for someone that persecuted someone you care about. Right, Some of you are more prone to pick up someone else's offense and want to karate chop people than you are even someone coming at you. And that feels noble at the front end, and, and, and I, 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 I can see it, right? Because I have kind of a, a shepherd defender heart too. Like don't mess with anybody I care about because I'll hurt you, right? Like that kind of mentality. But what we need to understand is in the same way, when we feel that we're no more noble for attacking someone that attacks someone we love than we would be for attacking someone that attacked us the same still applies. We still need to pray for that person, and, and we still need to compassionately care for them. And so I guess what I'm saying is understanding where slander come from, comes from, that it it oftentimes is sourced from somebody who is in fear of their own inadequacy. They're struggling because of, of doubting themselves, and that's also contributing to jealousy, that that many times is the source of slander. To some degree, understanding that, and also by the help of God's grace, it should allow us to have compassion? Because sometimes it seems out of so left field, these, these things people will say and do. Sometimes people will attack us and there's just no way to even possibly conceive, where is that coming from? Like, I barely even know you, right? Or like, I've only been cool to you, right? Like, why, what are you coming at me like this for? To understand that oftentimes they are riddled with fear uh, and they're, they're struggling with jealousy and, and that's driven by their own set of uh, you know insecurities and stuff like that doesn't excuse their behavior, but it should help us as we take them to the Lord in prayer and compassionately pray for them. Uh, Satan will play on anything he can to try to stir up trouble because where there's strife, there's every evil thing, according to James. So um, hopefully understanding the source will help us also to love others, but also be looking out for it in ourselves. So we're talking about how to avoid slandering others. So so, what I'm saying is be careful. maybe you haven't slandered someone, but maybe you're starting to feel jealous of them, careful because that'll lead to slander, or maybe you find yourself constantly looking at others, comparing yourself to them, whether it's performance or or position or whatever it is um and, and if if you find that kind of beginning to eat it away at you you're you're on the path towards not if you don't deal with that, it, it won't be long till you're at least tempted then to say something bad to them, and maybe it's not to the boss, you know like like the guys with Daniel, but maybe it's just to another worker. Maybe it's just out of spite. Maybe it's just out of, or maybe it's another family member, right? Just this is a sideways comment. You're going to be tempted to begin to sin and slander that person out of jealousy or out of uh, your own <clears throat> insecurities or fear of inadequacy. Don't, so don't let those things just run rampant. Don't let those things go unchecked. Ask God to help you by his grace with those things so they don't lead to this outer sin of slander that then begins to involve other people and gets really messy and ugly. So the first thing we need to do to avoid slandering others is we need to understand where slander comes from. The second is that we must understand that God is angered by slander. Part of how we can avoid as God's people the temptation to slander others is to understand how much our holy God gets ticked off when people do that. It should matter to us, right? We as God's kids, we as God's people should be looking to do things that make God smile, not make him frown, right? And so God really doesn't like it. Uh, Let's look at verses 12 and 13 to help us understand how God feels about it. If a man does not repent, okay, there's kind of a weird transition here. So let me start in verse 11, just because I I actually had to really work hard to understand what this set of verses was saying, Um, because it's hard to know if he's talking about God or the person that is causing the trouble, and there's a weird transition. So verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he, see, because in my Bible, that, there's a split between 11 and 12, and it, it seems like if a man does not repent, then that man is going to sharpen his sword. But actually what it's saying is if a man does not repent, the he is God. God will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. So this is the kind of language and description Dave is using to describe how God feels about the person that refuses to repent for slandering someone else. Thank God there is always the opportunity to repent. Amen? If you haven't said amen yet, that's a good spot right there. You missed it. Amen, that we always have a chance to repent, even when we let our own insecurities and struggles and and jealousies cause us to say dumb stuff about other people. Thank God he's willing to receive our repentance, right, and our confession, and he's willing to forgive us. But if you refuse to do that, I I read one commentary. It said that when, when we just keep on going, we just keep on refusing to repent. We just keep on disregarding God's loving warning to us that essentially what we're doing is, is we're, we're creating, we're turning the grindstone that he's sharpening his sword on. Oh, that's scary. I don't want to do that. I don't want to. Right? I don't want to take God off. I don't want to disappoint him. He's been so good to us. He's given us so many reasons to want to figure out every possible way to obey him. Uh, and he's proven that his way is better. And so... We should not keep moving forward in ignorance. We should not uh, think that it's no big deal when we talk bad about other people. When we gossip and slander based on our own jealousies or inadequacies or just carelessness, it, it, it actually really matters. It ticks God off, and uh, he inspired David by his spirit to say things like he's bending bows and he's making weapons and he's turning his arrows into fiery shafts that deal with the person that slanders and doesn't repent. Y'all want to knock it off now? I do. Woo! I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Yes, because I'm, I'm not getting in a battle with God because I, I lose, right? Uh, I don't want to go to war against him. I want to be on his side, standing behind him, kind of peeking my head out every once in a while While well, he's just laying waste to the enemies, right? And I'm just walking on to glory, following in his footsteps, amen. Uh, here, here's the beauty, that the same truth that brings us comfort about those that would slander us should also in this case serve as a warning to us. You see that? So this is true. If the person does not repent that's coming after you, God's going to deal with them, and it's going to be severe. So that brings me comfort. Thank you, God. Vengeance is yours. I will trust you. I'm going to put it into your hands. But at the very same time, we need to understand we have the potential to be on the other side of that. It should serve as a stern warning to us. We should not be careless with our words. We should not be careless with even what's going on in our hearts Um, when it comes to being jealous of others, when it comes to letting our insecurities cause us to talk bad about others or or, or whatever it is, whatever the source is, um, we need to not be slanderers. We need to not be gossips. God's very serious about it. So uh, ways we avoid slandering others, we need to understand the source of slander, where it comes from. We need to understand that God is angered by slander. Uh, He doesn't play about it. The, The third way that we can avoid slandering others is that we need to know the gospel. We need to know the gospel. Uh, My question to you is, what, what is the only cure for the sin sickness of fear and jealousy? What is the only cure for the sin sickness of fear and jealousy? The only cure is the gospel. Here's what the gospel does, friends. The gospel erases the constant temptation of comparison. The gospel allows our identity to be anchored in what the sacrifice of Christ teaches us about the way God sees us. The gospel doesn't just give us the power to not slander. It takes away the need to. It takes away the want to. The gospel deals with the root issue. It gets down to where the problem starts. It takes away the the fear of inadequacy and the insecurities. The gospel causes the, the, the need for jealousy to totally go away. We wouldn't even get close to slander if we truly believed and our life was rooted in the beauty and the majesty of the gospel. How does it do that? What does the gospel teach us about the way God sees us? Well, first of all, it teaches us we are loved. See, all of us want to be loved. And so some of us didn't get it from our families. Some of us don't get it from our families now. Some of us just don't feel the affirmation that we need. And so we're constantly hungry for that and we're looking for it. And if we don't believe the gospel, then we're not we're not receiving it from the Lord as we should be. And so, anybody else that is receiving love or affirmation or praise, however we perceive it, whether that's on the job or from our family or whatever else, that jealousy is going to rise up, and it's going to cause us to go after them. It's going to cause us to start to look for chinks in their armor, things that we can we can throw out there to make them look worse. So hopefully, raise ourselves up. It's this it's this sickness. And so the gospel takes away our need for that because if we truly believe what the gospel tells us, the truth, that even though we were wretched sinners that we had no nothing in us that would would make God want us, but still he saw fit to come and rescue us in that condition that all of us in our sin have caused separation between us and God, but that God in a miraculous rescue mission sent Jesus to come and to build a bridge with his very life, death, and resurrection that we may walk across and be reunited with the God that made us, that God sought for us when we were out in the dark, when God chased after us when we were running from him, when he did everything that was necessary to have us, including the death and the flowing blood of his own son down a wretched thief's cross that proves that you are loved beyond the shadow of a doubt and so you need not chase it in a bunch of other places and you need not be jealous when somebody else is shown love or affirmation you'll, ha- you'll not get anywhere close to slander if you believe that the gospel teaches you that you are loved you are loved and what Jesus has done uh, through his life, death and resurrection cru- uh, proves it Also, the gospel teaches us that we are valuable. There has never been, ever, even close to, a price paid for anything that rivals the price paid for us. The currency of redemption was the blood of Christ. The pure, precious blood of the very Lamb of God. The precious, perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, His Son. That is what God used to pay for us. And so that means, friend, no matter what you've come to believe, no matter what somebody has told you, no matter what lie has seated itself in your mind or heart, you are valuable. Because if anybody's opinion counts for something when it comes to coming up with your value, it is the God that made you. The clay does not get to determine its value on the potter's wheel. The artist that shapes that clay into something beautiful is the one that gets to put a price on it and determine what it sells for. You're not the potter, friend, you're the clay. God sets the value, and he already paid a price for you that'll never be matched. You're valuable, and the gospel teaches you that. Do you see how that would stop you from being tempted to slander? Do you see how that would stop you from being tempted to dwell on your insecurities so much that you'd be jealous of somebody else, and then cause you to say something wild about them? The gospel totally cuts out the root of all of this. The Gospel teaches us we're loved, we're valuable, and the Gospel teaches us that we are unique because God's mission required it to be so. See, prob- the problem is oftentimes, we may believe we're loved. We may believe that we're valuable to some degree, but but for some reason we just get caught in this trap of comparison. We're looking at somebody else, their life with God, their call in God, what it is God has them doing, how it is they function in the body of Christ, and we know that we, we know that because Jesus died for absolutely every single person that was going to put faith in Christ. And we know that further through the teachings of the epistles that the body of Christ that Jesus bought is a beautifully unique body that has a bunch of different parts functioning. That's what Paul taught us writing through 1 Corinthians, that not all of us are going to be the same because every single one of us, if we were all the same, we could not get the absolutely incredible job of telling the world about Jesus done. We need people with different gifts and talents. We need people in different places. We need people that have different sets of of, of gifts and different sets of uh, of values and and perspectives. Even right, all of it underneath the umbrella of the truth of the gospel. We need we need different people. It's going to take all different kinds. It, Paul goes so far as to make fun of us in First Corinthians twelve. He starts to say, "Oh, well, if." If you're an eye and you just decide you want to be a nose and so you're going to be kind of a party pooper about the whole situation, like, like does that make sense? And sometimes we miss the humor of the Bible, but he's, he's, he's calling us out and he's telling us we're ridiculous when we live our lives in a constant state of comparison with somebody else. Well, I, I, wish, I wish I could do what they do or I don't feel like God really uses me or my part's not that important. What are you talking about? Right? Like, We need absolutely every single part to get this thing done. And maybe some of the deal is, if if we would just focus more on the size of God's mission instead of just kind of coming into this macro focus of our own perception of what it is we do or don't do, but we really understood what it is we've been asked to do, right? Because Jesus came. He did the hard part. He lived a perfect life sinless life, then he died in our place for our sins and then he conquered death and sin and rose from the grave, hard part done. And he says to us, here's what I need you to do. Believe that and I need you to tell everybody this happened and that grace and mercy and salvation is available for them. Right? He did the hardest part but our job is still pretty big. Our job is still Pretty huge, and we're gonna need God's help, we're gonna need His grace, and we're gonna need every single person functioning in the way that God has made them to function, working together, not worried about being insecure, not riddled with fear, not talking bad about each other, but in complete unity, focused upon God's mission that is much bigger than any of the one of us. That is how we avoid the trap of comparison. The gospel teaches us we are unique, and the gospel teaches us that that is for a purpose, right? It's for a purpose, a big purpose. So let's stop comparing. Let's stop believing those lies. If we believe these things, if we believe these things because of the gospel, we will no longer have a hunger for the meal of slander, which begins with the appetizer of comparison, fear, and jealousy. If we truly believe these things, we will no longer have a hunger for the meal of slander, which begins with the appetizer of comparison, fear, and jealousy. Praise God. I'm thankful. The gospel has the power to undo all of the malicious intent. The gospel has the power to bring us security so that we aren't ones that are throwing slander and gossip about other people. The gospel also tells us that God is for us and with us and willing to be Be that strong refuge and be that place that David knew he could run to. The gospel, if you couldn't believe it because David said it, the fact that Jesus came and did what he did should seal the deal in your mind that God is for us and with us and he is about our good. And so we know. That when we go through these things, when we are falsely accused, when people lie about us, when people even maybe take something true but sensitive and they use it in in a malicious way to try to hurt us, that we don't have to respond in like kind, that we don't have to jump into that mud pit and get dirty too, that what we can do is we can trust that he is just and he is also merciful, that he's powerful and that he's faithful, and that if we will rest in his justice, goodness, mercy, and power, then we will be vindicated. Not because of us, but because of him. And he gets glorified so much. Like I, I, I wanted a real deep theological term for that, but he gets glorified so much when we do that. When we refuse to fall into that natural tendency to get in and throw mud with everybody, man. And we go even farther. We don't just resist that temptation. We don't just stand stoically and and not let it bother us, but we let it take us even further into compassion and mercy upon the one doing the infraction, the one that is coming after us. And in doing that, friend, we are reflecting what Christ did to us. We were the sinner. We were the rebel. We were the cause for the problem. But Jesus came and had an incredible love for us. Reached out to us. Died for us. Prayed for us. Had mercy upon us. We can't just ignore those that would come after us. We have to love and care for them. And in so doing, friends, we will find true joy and we will declare loudly the reality of the power of the gospel in our lives. Only somebody empowered by the God of the universe could do that because it's not normal. Thank you, Jesus, (laughs) that he'll help us to do it. May we be a people who humbly trust the Lord when we are persecuted. May we be a people who do good to those that do bad to us by the grace of God. And may we be a people who are so full of the feast that is the gospel, we are not even tempted by the scraps of slander. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we would come before you now in the name of Jesus. First of all, God, we just thank you so much as little deserving as we are, that you would invite us to come to you by that name. Thank you. We are granted access to the very throne room of God Almighty to bring our prayers and petitions. Lord, first we want to confess. We confess, Lord God, that we as your people, we are tempted. Sometimes we are tempted to slander. Sometimes we are tempted to say things about people that are born of our own jealousy or born of our own fears of inadequacy, our own insecurities. Lord, and we can justify it so many different ways, but the truth is, When we speak ill of other people, one of these things is a factor. And God, I just ask that by the power of your gospel, by your mercy and grace, you would come and you would root out anything in our hearts that would cause us to behave that way because uh, we're supposed to be on the total other end of the spectrum if we belong to you. Lord, I ask you not only to help us not be slanderers, not be gossips, not be people riddled with insecurity and thus speaking ill of others, but God, I ask you to help us to be people that respond the way you do to being attacked and persecuted. God, may we not only be people that stand firm, trusting in your goodness, may we not only be people that stand uh, unwilling to be shaken, uh, when people would lie about us or gossip about us, may we not just trust you, but may we go the step further. May we follow the way of our master and actually pray for those that would come after us. Pray for those that are the cause of the trouble. Care for their souls and ask God for you to help them as well. May we understand with compassion that the same tendency for insecurity and jealousy that tries to come after us has obviously got a hold of them. And that's why they're coming after us. That's why they're making our, our relationship adversarial. And that's why they would come and say something hateful or mean or, or not say it to us, say it behind our backs to try to hurt us or our reputation. Uh, thank you, Lord, for teaching us that these things are born out of um, devices the enemy has tried to use to keep people from coming together, joining together in unity to get something done in this earth. I thank you, God, uh, that there will be absolutely no place for strife uh, in the house of God for sure. Thank you, Lord, for each and every one of us understanding that your gospel teaches us Uh, that we are loved and that we're valuable and that you've made us uniquely for the purpose of fulfilling your will in the earth. And that makes us not squabble with each other. That makes us not fall into the trap of comparison. It makes us incredibly grateful for each other. And it causes us, Lord, to uh, constantly and in every way be looking to encourage one another, build one another up, spur each other on to love and good works, to do what it is, God, you've called us to do. Thank you that you've not only saved us so that we can revel in it, but you've saved us, Lord God, for a mission. And I thank you, Lord, that mission is going to absolutely require the power of unity to get it done. And so thank you, Lord, there's no strife among us. Thank you, there's no slander or gossip among us. God, help us to take the power of your gospel. Help us to take the power of your spirit into our families and workplaces where maybe those things do exist. And uh, help us to be agents of change, God. Help us to be uh, mirrors that reflect your glory in those places. Help us, God, to respond well in those situations and thus show people there's a better way. Um, It might be harder, but it's better. Thank you, Lord, that when we trust you, you're faithful. Thank you that you never fail. Thank you that you never, ever fail. You are just. All of our trust is in you. You, O Lord, are our refuge. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio.